How we doing? You enjoying winter? A lot of snow out there. Kathleen, I said this before, a couple weeks ago, we bought cross-country skis. So we went out yesterday. You can go right behind our backyard. And I think the snow is up to my knee. So, of course, I'm blazing the path for my lovely wife. So she, I go, how are you doing back there, Kathleen? Oh, I'm doing great because I'm making the path. So I am dying this morning. I am tired. That 54-year-old body just ain't what it used to be. It's just, but it was fun. It was a beautiful day. I know. Just say awe. Everybody just say awe for me, would you? So we're enjoying that, though, and uh, hopefully we'll get out there today, too. So enjoy it. Hey, you got to enjoy it, right? Okay, no, nobody. But anyways, okay, I'm just, I'm by myself. So we're in a, we're in a series um, looking at uh, the parables or the stories uh, of, of Jesus. And um, what we've come to discover about the parables of Jesus, we understand that Jesus uses these stories or these parables to help us understand a heavenly concept. So it's basically he's taking a truth, uh, a heavenly truth, and juxtaposing it next to an earthly story. I don't know about you, but, you know, I love a good story. And if you think back to your childhood, like the first books you learned how to read uh, with, I, I th- was trying to think back, what were the books that I really liked when I was first learning how to read? And I, I remember one of my favorite books was The, the Little Engine That Could. Isn't that a great story? What, what did The Little Engine kept saying? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And when I was first learning how to read, or the, you know, I, was, I love that story, or the little red caboose. I mean, it's great, great morals and great stories within those stories. So the stories are great. And, and Jesus used parables to help people understand about the kingdom of God. In fact, about a third of Jesus' teachings were done in parables. And so what we're doing is we're going through all the parables, all the stories of Jesus, that we, uh, that we see in the Gospels. Now, as you know, we as a church, we methodically go through the Word of God. And sometimes when you go through the Word of God, you run into very difficult subjects. As you can see the title today, What Does Jesus Say About Hell? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Woo! Those online, you're like, man, I'm going back to bed. Um, so as you know, when we go through the Word of God, we cannot run from difficult subjects. And it's easy for us to do, if we're not careful, it's easy for us to do to pick the topics that we like, and then the topics that are difficult, we kind of skirt around them. But Jesus spoke on this, and he spoke on it for a reason. And he shared a story about how in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And I want to dig into that. I don't, as your pastor, I feel like I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't give you the truth about certain difficult doctrines that are in the word of God. And there's a reason why they're in the word of God is because Jesus wants us to, us to learn. God wants us to understand his heart in this area. And I think there's a lot of confusion about the doctrine of hell, especially in our day, day and age today. There's a lot of teaching that are going around that are, that's, that's softening uh, the doctrine of hell or, or side-skirting it to, to make it more palatable. But let me just say, the doctrine of hell should bother us. It, it should concern us in a way that we need to understand what God meant about it. So as your pastor, I would do you a disservice if we didn't talk about this. I would do you a disservice if we didn't understand the truth behind this teaching. And so I want us to understand what Jesus meant by this. And so we understand why Jesus did parables or why he spoke in parables in Mark 4.33. It says, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could 
understand. And so we're going to tackle this very difficult topic of hell today. And Jesus shares the story of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Each died. And what we're going to see is we're going to see each of them ended up one, one on, uh, on the good side, on Abraham's side. And we see one that ended in Hades or hell. And we're going to see their lives there, their afterlife. And we're going to see their lives that they lived on earth. And it's very interesting because a lot of questions that I get answered, or that I get asked, and maybe you did too, is what happens after we die? What happens right after we die? And this gives us a good glimpse into what happens. We know the Apostle Paul says, for those that are in Christ Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And those that die without Christ are waiting their judgment. And we see in the word of God, there's this day, there's this judgment day that's going to come that we're going to have to give an account for our lives. It's called the great white throne judgment. And those that die without our Christ are, are waiting for this judgment. And this is what we see in this rich man. He's waiting for his judgment. And so let's look at the passage today. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16. And we're going to look, be looking at verses 19 through 31, the rich man and Lazarus. So let's read and see what Jesus says here in this story. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out, said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And beside, besides all of this, between us, between you and I, are this great chasm, and it's been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not follow, that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have had Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And listen to verse 30, because this is very sobering. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And listen to what the reply was. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Very, very sobering. So there's a couple of things I want you to notice right away after reading this story of, of Jesus. You have two men that we see in this life and the afterlife. And what do these men say about our lives? At first glance, we might think that Lazarus goes... Um, that Lazarus goes to heaven because he is poor and he wasn't treated well. And then you have the rich man who goes to hell because he was self-absorbed and basically just a jerk. And, and he's kind of getting what he deserves. So that, at first face value, you may think that. Well, the rich guy, you know, he was a jerk and he's just getting what he deserves. And Lazarus, because he's poor, he, he's um, getting heaven. However, 
This is not what Jesus is trying to teach us. The most interesting thing about these two people is there's one that has a name and one that doesn't. There is not another parable or story that Jesus teaches where he actually gives proper names to the characters. Very interesting. Everybody go, ooh, okay, I didn't know that. Okay, this is interesting. This story shared by Jesus, we need to understand what the purpose is here. Purposely, we see one named and one isn't. So why did the rich man go to hell? Was it merely for him being rich? Did he acquire his wealth through dishonest gain? That is not the case here. Let me share with you the difference between these two men and what Jesus is trying to show us. The name Lazarus, now this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. Some of you are wondering that. I know some of you are thinking it. I knew you were, was that the same? It's not. This is a different one. But the name Lazarus means this. It means God's help, God is my helper, and God is my salvation. This is important for us to understand as we juxtapose these two men, these two characters in Jesus' story. Jesus wants us to see the difference. The rich man was just that, a rich man, period. So what sent the rich man to hell was not the fact that he was rich. What sent him to hell was that his riches were his God. Okay, this is interesting. Listen, I, want you, I want to dig deeper here. You see, God wasn't his helper. God wasn't his salvation. He doesn't have a name because that's all he was. He was a rich man. Nothing more, nothing less. Less. That was his whole identity. That's what he lived his life for was his riches. The whole point of his life and his existence was for his riches. So the question we need to ask ourselves, this is something I want to pose to you here. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is what are we living for? What is our purpose? What gives us significance in our lives? And every single one of us are searching for significance, right? We want something that says, I'm somebody, or I'm different, or this makes me different, or this makes me better, or this sets me apart, right? That, that's the way our world is. We, we, we push ourselves so that we can be different, we can be, we can be better, right? We, we can be better than the next person or be one up on the next person, and it's a drive within our lives to be significant. I was watching a very um, interesting documentary on Olympians and why so many are struggling with depression after their uh, Olympic time or, or being an Olympian after that season in their life. And so many are struggling with um, depression that they're actually doing something about it and trying to help these Olympians deal with it. And you may say, oh, poor Olympians, they made it to the Olympics. You know, I didn't get to go to the Olympics. Wow, wow, wow. But what's interesting is as they began to dig into their lives, they began to see a common thread with many of those that were battling with depression after their Olympic season. And it's an incredible thing. Let's be honest. It's an incredible thing to make the Olympics. Your whole life is focused and revolved around one thing, to make it to the Olympics. And, you know, I used to be a swimmer. Kathleen was a swimmer. Pastor Brandon was a swimmer. What's interesting, I, I like watching the Olympic swimming time trials. And what you don't realize, there's only two swimmers that make it. That's it. Two. Out of the thousands that try to get, even to make it to the Olympic trials, only two make it in certain events. That's it. So you're spending your whole life. So now you get to that elite level to make it, and you're the top two 
in that particular event to make it. Your whole life, everything about your life. Um, uh, Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian of all time. He would eat 12,000 calories a day during his training. Can you imagine that, being able to eat 12,000 calories a day? It's like whole box of donuts, no big deal. I can eat that, right? Uh, five guys, three burgers, four milkshakes. I think my son Colby owns the record at uh, Red Robin for drinking like seven root beer floats. He was comatose for like a week after that. I don't know what happened, but he did it. Um, but can you imagine that 12,000 calories? Because that's all he would do all day is swim, and that's how much he was burning. So to even keep weight on you just have to eat all those calories. So your whole life revolves around that. The problem is this with many of those that struggle with depression, was that many of them, when this was over, they struggled to find purpose in their life. In fact, they did a study on those that meddled in the Olympics, uh, and they said those that got a silver medal uh, were more disappointed than those that got the bronze medal. I'm like, what? Here's the reason why. Those that got the silver medal were, were disappointed and found less happiness in their medal because they didn't get the gold. Those that got the bronze medal were just happy that they're on the platform, that they made it to the podium. Because guess what? The guy with the bronze medal is looking at the guy in fourth place, the person in fourth place saying, mm, they didn't get on the platform. And so it's interesting how their focus was all about this one goal of being the best in their particular event. And so many felt that nothing was left for them after they were done with this. And so when the thing was taken away, what now? When that thing was taken away, when their goal in life was taken away, what now? Because their whole identity was in what they did, not who they were. Many of the Olympians felt alone. They discovered that they felt alone, that they felt isolated, and they had no, no way of dealing with their emotions, which they're focusing on now, which is it's a good thing. But I want us to realize this morning we all struggle with the same thing. But let's be honest with ourselves. We all struggle with the same thing. My identity can be wrapped up in many different things. It may not be wrapped up in an, an Olympic pursuit, but our identity can be wrapped up in our kids. It can be. It can be wrapped up in our kids. It can be wrapped up in my job. It can be wrapped up in what I do. It can be wrapped up in my success, how successful I feel or I don't feel. And when these things don't live up to those expectations, it's easy for us to lose hope. It's easy for us to lose our significance and wonder, what is my purpose? Why am I living? This thing didn't deliver what it was supposed to promise. See, we all have, we all have a great job of putting on a veneer of, we want, of what we want people to think we are or who we are. We all do it in a certain way. And when people congratulate us or give us accolades, that gives us a little boost of confidence for a little time. But then when we go away and we're, we're in a, that, own, that secret spot with our own thoughts, many times we feel like failures or we don't measure up and we struggle with significance. You see, for this rich man, that's exactly what his whole significance was about. It was about his riches. See, here's the difference. Follow me here real closely. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, what does this have to do with help? We're going to get there. So just hold on. We're, we're going we're to get there in just a minute. Here's the difference between Lazarus and the rich man. Here's the difference. When God is my helper, listen closely, my identity is in God, and it's not dependent on how my kids turn out or whether or not I'm successful in the world's eyes. 
or whether or not I achieved that gold, that gold medal or not, when God is my helper and God is my goal, my identity is not dependent on these other things to give me significance. See, when God is my helper, we can enjoy the things of life. How? Because the world's pleasures do not drive us now. Watch, watch the movie Chariots of Fire. Go home this afternoon and watch it if you've never seen it. Great movie about two runners, one runner who was a believer who did not put his full significance in the 100-meter dash. And you have another runner who said, I'm going to prove my existence, my whole existence is proven, and whether or not I can run 10 seconds. This 100-meter dash is going to prove my existence and they have this other runner who was a follower of Christ that wouldn't run on Sunday. I said, this is not my existence. This is not my purpose. When I run, I feel God. The gold medal wasn't his, his purpose or his significance. So I don't want to give the movie away, but watch it because it's so good. There's so many good, good things in there that we can learn. See, when God is my helper, we can enjoy the things of life because the world's pleasures do not drive us. They can't ultimately give us the significance that God can. Those that are focused on Christ say this. They say, our treasure is God, not this world. Christ is my focal point. Christ is my treasure. See, the rich man lost everything in hell. All his riches were only temporary. They were only temporary. And the only thing he had was himself. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Truth, right? That's sobering. See, all the rich man had was himself and it was hollow. There was no substance to his life. At the end of his life, it was hollow. How many remember, maybe this happened to you, I'm still in therapy for this, by the way, but how many of you, when you were a kid and you got your Easter basket and your parents gave you a hollow Easter bunny? What a ripoff that was, right? I'm still in therapy over it. I'm like, what? You know, there's nothing like a, a, a solid Easter bunny, right? The, the, the hollow ones, come on. That's a ripoff. That's pseudo. You faked me out. You didn't give me the real thing, right? And when I think about the rich man, I think about a hollow Easter bunny. There's nothing there. There's no substance to his life. And his riches could never give him that substance. See, all the rich man was left was his hollow soul. Nothing to show for his life lived on earth. It was all for him. His riches were his treasure. But all just, it was just all hollow, like a hollow Easter bunny. And what's the difference about Lazarus. Well, he allowed his suffering to lead him to God. You see, my ears perk up when I hear somebody share about the difficult things that they had to traverse through in their lives. My ears pick, pick up because I want to know, how did you do it? How did you make it? How did you traverse through that difficult thing in, in your life? When someone shares their story of suffering, my heart is automatically tuned into what they have to say. I want to hear from those people. I want to know what they say. And what Lazarus did, he allowed his suffering not to drive him away from God, not to blame God, but to find his significance in God, even though his life here on earth was far from good or perfect, from someone that would look at him. They just looked at him as a beggar, someone uh, that, that just had so many problems. But Lazarus finds himself 
driven to God even in the midst of his suffering, finding his significance in God when the world would look at him and think that he was a failure. His soul was solid. His soul was not hollow. Lazarus was whole even though he had nothing in the worldly standards. He had God. He was solid, not empty or hollow. Lazarus now has everything. So what can we learn here? What can we learn? The question I want to pose to you is, is is God my helper and nothing else? This is a good question that we need to ask ourselves. And, 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 I, and I know as, as, as we dig into this question about hell and, 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 and why was this, why hell? You know, that question is still out there. And I understand this is a difficult question. Why hell? Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? I don't know about you. Have you ever been asked that question before? I'm sure you have. Why would a loving God create hell? Why would he allow people to go there if he's so loving? It's a good question. And we need to answer it. We can't side skirt it. Listen, I would love to soften this for you and make it more palatable for you. I can't. So would you allow me just to be truthful with you for a moment here? Those watching online, let me be truthful with you here because this is hard. And I know maybe you haven't heard this teaching Maybe this is going to be difficult, but let's just call it what it is. This is attention. This is difficult, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't enjoy teaching on this. This isn't a fun message. But listen, I heard one pastor say it this way. Hard messages produce soft hearts. Soft messages produce hard hearts. I want your heart to be soft. Jesus never lessened his message of truth with us. He never did it. He didn't do it so that you wouldn't, so that you could be less offended. Okay, Jesus gave us the truth so that we would grapple with the immensity of what He did for us. You see, the moment I start lessening or, or, or making this more palatable, the less we make of the cross and what Jesus actually did for us on the cross—that He died a horrible physical death—but the reason why Jesus was tortured was because of our sin and our wickedness, that Jesus took our place. And if I lessen this doctrine, then we lessen the teaching of the cross, and I can't do that for you. We have to come into reality of who we are and why Jesus came. Jesus came for lost people. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came to uh, reestablish that broken relationship that we had with God the Father. God is holy, and the word of God says nothing unholy can approach the throne of God because Jesus was perfect and was God, took our sin upon himself to appease the righteous standards of God so that now when we are in Christ Jesus and we come to him by faith, and ask him to forgive us of our sins, and we are in Christ, and the precious blood of Christ covers us, we can now stand before a holy God one day. Not because of me or my works, because I'm a sinner, yet saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And what God does now is he imputes the righteousness of Christ into my life, a sinner, a lost person. And it's all because of faith and our belief in Christ that he paid the penalty for you and I. So now we can have the confidence to stand before a holy God and not face God's judgment. So when we say a person is saved, 
We say a person is saved. Saved from what? We are saved from God's judgment that was placed towards us because of our unrighteousness. Jesus took that for us. So when I'm in Christ Jesus, I am now saved from the judgment of God and the condemnation that comes with sin. Man, that's good. I hope that, I don't know how to explain any better to you, but I hope that makes sense to you. And that's why it's important for us to understand what hell is and why um, it's, a, it's a doctrine of the church. So, so let me first say this about um, the, the, the topic of hell and why it should bother us and why it should concern us. Um, in this parable, what we see is we see this gulf between hell and heaven, which no one could cross. You couldn't cross it. So the rich man is in this gulf, and we see those that died before Christ rose from the grave on Abraham's bosom on this other side, or paradise, or, or heaven. And you saw this great gulf that you couldn't cross, and you see those that are waiting for their judgment, the great white throne seat of Christ. When Jesus died and rose again, he took those who were at Abraham's side, took them to heaven with them. So when Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, um, we'll, we'll do a whole other message on that because there's so much confusion about what happens right after we die. So that's a whole other time, and I could go into that. But I want to dig into why, why the purpose of, of hell here. You see, what we would tend to falsely believe is why would God do this? But I want to turn the question around. It's not God who chooses, but us. The responsibility clearly is laid upon us. See, God gives every opportunity for us to choose him. Yet like the rich man, we can choose to serve ourselves and reject God's gift of salvation through his son. So I want you to see in reality, the doctrine of hell is completely fair and just. The rich man in hell doesn't say, let me out. And more importantly, he doesn't ask for forgiveness for his life. The rich man asks Lazarus to actually quench his thirst, treating him still as a servant like he was at the gates of his house. His thinking is, is, is so hardened to the purpose of repentance. See, Lazarus couldn't cross over, and the rich man doesn't have a clue doesn't have a clue. He thinks that he could just cross it. He doesn't have a clue that his own sin separated him from a holy God. You see, hell did not fix the rich man. It only revealed his heart. That's, that's hard. You see, we understand from the word of God that, that God created hell for the devil and his angels and those that do iniquity. We choose it. God gives us a free will. He presents his life-giving message to us to receive his beautiful grace and message of salvation. But the rich man chose to allow his riches to be his treasure, not God. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And I want you to understand that God has done everything possible to reach us and to save us from ourselves. The rich man chose his path and he was responsible. But God has done everything to reach us, and that's his undeserving grace. Isn't it interesting towards the end of the story that Moses says, or Abraham says to him, listen, you had Moses and the prophets preaching over and over and over and over again, and still 
some would not listen. And you think to say to me that even if someone is raised from the grave and preaches to your brothers that they're going to still accept him? See, that's the lie that we believe. We believe, well, if there could just be more miracles, if there could just be more miracles, if I could see a miracle, everyone say that to me, well, if I see this, then I'll believe. No amount of miracles can ever change a hardened heart. Didn't Jesus do the same thing? Didn't he perform miracle after miracle after miracle before all those that walked with him and looked at him, and yet some still didn't believe? And Jesus authenticated his Messiahship and who he was as God through his miracles, yet some didn't believe. See, what Jesus pointed to is the hardened heart. That is our responsibility. You see, we need to understand that we're all under a death sentence because of our sin, and none of us can save ourselves. Our heart's default is to take care of me and to, and to look for false saviors to rescue me, to look for those functional saviors that I feel are going to help me through my life. But they didn't never deliver what they promise. See, the problem isn't we don't, we don't want to own it. We don't want to admit we're wrong, and that's, and that's a hardened heart. C.S. Lewis says this, there are two kind of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and consistently desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it will be open." The most loving and compassionate thing God can do for us is give us the truth about eternity. Because what that does is it drives us to the grace and mercy of God and what Jesus actually accomplished for us on the cross. The most loving thing that I can do for you as a pastor is give you the truth of eternity. Um, I, I, the other a week or so ago, I saw, I saw this video, and it was, just, it was a hard video to watch, so I'm going to show it to you. So, you know, if you're, if you're an animal lover, I'm really sorry, okay? I apologize up front, but I want to show you because it just illustrates my point here. I saw this um, uh, video of a raccoon with a can on its face, and he could not get the can off. And this poor raccoon is going to die unless someone takes the, the, the can off his face. So I just, I want to show you the, the video. He got his head stuck. See that poor raccoon? So she's getting her yoga mat out, which is helping, I think. Um, so uh, the raccoon eventually died. No, I'm just teasing. It didn't, it didn't. I... <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> just, just teasing. Okay. Raccoon made it. Um, the, the raccoon did okay. Um, but it, what, I, what I wanted you to see about this is that, if you, I didn't show you the whole thing. It was like three or four minutes. But what was interesting about the raccoon kept fighting the people who were trying to save it. He did, the raccoon didn't realize, you're going to die. You're going to suffocate. You can't eat with this can on your, on your snout on your face. And isn't that just like us? The, the very person that comes into the world to rescue us, Jesus Christ, who, who came to die for us, 
who through God's grace does everything to reach us, we stiff arm and, and we, we, we easily reject. And if we don't realize, just like that can, sin suffocates us. And we can't do it without a Savior. And I, here's the thing I, I want us to look at as we just draw to a close. I, I want you to look at two things here. One, what is my treasure? What is the thing that, that, that I'm living my life for? Listen, let me just be honest with you. At the end of the day, it's really what we do for Christ and his kingdom that really matters at the end of the day, right? Can we just be honest? It, this has been, can we just say it's been a tough year all the way around? It's just been a tough year. And it's so easy to get distracted on things that really don't pertain to the kingdom of God. And I think for the calling of the church, we need to get back to the gospel message and why God called us and why God is calling us as a church. And that's to proclaim his love to this world. This world is dying and is lost without a savior. And God has called us to present that message and it's so easy for us to get off on other tangents. And I'm not saying these other tangents are necessarily bad things, but let me ask you this question. Are they essential things? And we, call, we, we, we get called to these peripheral things that end up dividing us and not uniting us through the gospel message. See, living word, I want living word to come and make sure that we are constantly a gospel-centered church that's focused on presenting the gospel at all costs, supporting missions work, encouraging you to be that witness to your neighbors and your family members. Not long ago, I, I, I um, jog around our neighborhood, and when I first started jogging around our neighborhood, I really, I really felt called just to pray for um, all the houses in our neighborhood. And I did it at first. And I would jog and I would say, God, just, I don't know who lives there, you know, just... Lord, bless them, and if they're not believers, Lord, may their heart be open to you. And I would just use it as a time of just like a prayer jog, just around my neighbor. Just. And uh, as I continued to do it more and more, I'd listen to podcasts. And then after a year or two, it was like I was jogging one day, and, and I just felt like the Lord just impressed my heart. Barden, you, you stop praying. I'm like, geez, I did. I kind of forgot to pray for my neighbors. And the Lord just kind of reestablished my heart again, recalibrated my heart to what is my purpose of living in my neighborhood. Is it just a jog? Which is okay. Or is it, is it to be a light? People, don't lose your treasure. Don't lose your purpose. The church has kind of lost its way a little bit in general. Let's come back to our purpose and that's the gospel. May Christ and Christ alone be our treasure. For those of you, this is a tough message because you're praying for a family member, you're praying for a spouse, you're praying for your kids who might not be serving the Lord now. I would tell you, don't give up. Be persistent. Allow um, these teachings to motivate your heart never to give up. Listen, there are people that you reach, that you influence, that I will never influence or be able to reach. God has called you to do that. Listen, we're all, we all have different jobs or things that we're good at, and that's fine and dandy, but allow God to use those things as a platform for his message. Let's have that as, as first and foremost 
in our lives and never forget what Jesus has done for us. See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he gives us this truth and he says, Barden, what are you doing with the truth that I gave you? Is that the thing that's paramount in your life? Or have you allowed these other peripheral things to pull you away from the central message that I've given you and that I've given the church? And that's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. We all know John 3.16, right? That's our calling. That's our calling. That God loves this world. So let's not lose that. And I know this was a hard teaching. I know this is difficult, but may it propel us, may it propel us to not lose hope that the message of Christ is still powerful enough to save. Our calling as a church is souls. The reason Jesus came was for souls. Souls. Not your political stance. Amen. Help us, Jesus. Help us. He came for souls. May that be the thing that drives us. So my question to you as we close and we pray, is Christ your treasure? Are you Lazarus today? Is he your treasure? Is he your focal point? Is he your salvation? Or has these other things in your life become your treasure that have gotten you off track from what Christ has called you to do? So we want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you that we would stay steadfast as living word on the gospel message of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to do. Amen. Let's be those people that have Jesus as our treasure. So Father God, I thank you for your word today. Um, Lord, this was a hard word. Lord, I just pray for those that are sitting here and all of us have people in our lives that need to know who you are. I pray that we would rightly represent who you are to our family, to our neighbors, that we wouldn't allow peripheral things that had nothing to do with your kingdom to divide us or separate us. But Lord, we would focus on you and you alone, Jesus, as our treasure that, Lord, we would never lose sight of what you did for us. That, Jesus, the world outside of us is dying and going to hell without a Savior. Help us not to give up. Continue to allow us to have your heartbeat. Continue to allow us to have your compassion for this world, that we would love them, that we would serve them, that we would show them who you are. So we pray for those that are around us, our family members, the people that we work with, whoever we come in contact with. And then I pray, Lord, if we've lost our way and we've allowed other things to become our focal point and our treasure, may you recalibrate us back to who Christ is and what he's done for us. Take our mind off of those things that are hollow, that have no substance, that in the end have nothing to do with the building of your kingdom. Help us to have the building of your kingdom at the, at the forefront of who we are, and may Christ be our significance in all we do. So I thank you, Lord, for this word. Even though it was hard, I thank you for it, God. And I thank you for your love and never giving up on us. Thank you that you've done everything to reach us. You did everything. 
You did not spare your own life to reach us. And so, Lord, it is our decision to see you for who you are and to bow our knees before you to allow you to be Lord and Savior in our life. So we thank you for your love today. We just want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. All God's children said, amen. Amen. Can we thank the Lord today? He knows a hard word, but let's thank him. Let us speak to you. Amen. Amen. Listen, uh, before I let you go, just to remind you, if you need prayer or you're praying for anybody that you want us to agree with, please, you, we have prayer cards in the back or go online under the prayer tab, and we would love to, to just stand with you and pray with you for whatever you're going through. Amen. Enjoy your day. Enjoy the snow. Go out and play in the snow today. Go have fun, all right? We'll see you guys next week. God bless you.